When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. I have got Greg, Greg, Greg. I've got Greg Roberg here with me from AgDirect. How you doing, Greg? Doing good, Casey. How are you? Happy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, man. Right back at you. It's one of my favorite times. You get the March Madness tournament going on and you get a little reason to go out and have a cocktail or two after work. So it's, a, it's always one of my favorite holidays. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Get to see a lot of good friends and it's nice to be, out, be able to get out. And do some things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, man, Greg, a lot of stuff going on right now. When you look at the world of of interest rates and, and what's happening there. We've got a Fed meeting coming up here next week, I guess. So yep. talk about that a little bit and what you're anticipating from that. Well, there is a lot going on. And wow, what a what a wild week it's, it's been. been all it's the been that, with yeah. the larger banks. Uh really having some financial trouble and mm-hmm. and uh the the government looking at how they can create a backstop and so that there's some uh, sense of security out there in the market. So I think that personally, I think that's just kind of an anomaly. I think the banking system itself is safe and secure and then perhaps some of these larger banks just made some bad decisions. Yep. Uh, so with the, the Fed coming up, the Fed has kind of a tough decision. You know, do they, do they stay the course and 
keep raising interest rates or do they kind of hold off? I, I believe they're going to go up a quarter. There were some that maybe thought half a percent two weeks ago, but I believe with some of the banking issues, particularly some of the larger banks, we'll see a quarter that'll come out uh, on the 22nd. Some of you on Wednesday, we'll see a quarter with interest rates, which will affect variable rates, which most likely are like operating rates. Uh, see, the Fed takes off April and then they meet May, June, and July. So they meet eight times in the year. It's kind of different times. So hopefully we'll see a quarter that will allow the Fed to kind of see what the inflation data and jobs data looks like uh, for, you know, 60 days. Mm-hmm. They meet again March 1st and 2nd. I'm sorry, May 1st and 2nd. Yeah. So expect the little increase in interest rates, but it's starting to kind of level off with, you know, interest rates kind of in that five, yeah. six, seven years. So, you know, that's AgDirect's world where we're having our business is, is five-year financing for mm-hmm. farmers and producers. So that seems to be leveling off. But we're just in an interesting time where variable rates are more expensive than fixed rates. So right. I've been at this for over 20 years. It's only a second time I've seen variable rates be higher than fixed rates. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. It doesn't happen that often. No, it doesn't. Yeah. So what, what's going on in AgDirect right now? What, what do you guys have out there that, that, uh, that's that's important you want to make sure everybody knows about? Yeah, well, appreciate the opportunity to, to share that. So we've got, we just came out with some new residuals okay. uh, for sprayers. And really, I think some really aggressive, what we call lease to own, or the throw and put lease to, to mm-hmm. be specific. So basically, it's a lease to own high residuals on sprayers for for deer and case, especially those residuals went up. Got a few little upticks on some of the other brands as well. But we'll see deer and case some of the biggest benefit based on some resell data. And so basically, lease to own is like it is, like it's uh, described. Farmer can lease it, and the only thing is they can't just walk away with it. It's it's right. gonna have to make a decision. They can finance some residual with AgDirect. They can trade it with their dealer, um, or they can just you know buy it outright if they want. No. So it's that payment down, and as we've seen increases in uh, prices of equipment, I believe, we believe that these things are going to become more and more popular. So yeah, we call it uh, Sprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the name of the program. We're seeing a lot more activity on five and seven years, especially mm-hmm. seven years. Uh, with AgDirect, there's no prepayment penalties. So I believe that's really important. You know, a lot of guys have cash, but they're also kind of thinking, I don't have the crop in the ground yet. So maybe right. I should uh, finance some of my capital purchases here. March and April are always busy months for for AgDirect, I'm sure, in the equipment dealers, too. Um, yeah. So I would just put that up there. If, if you're looking at buying a piece of equipment, there's no prepayment penalties with AgDirect. So if you pay it off this year and over four or five years, um, there won't be any surprises with fees. Right. Yeah, for sure. Are you seeing are you, are you seeing more of an appetite for leasing now? More inquiries about leases than you've seen in the past? More, more quoting. Yeah, I would say that's translated to more leases on the books, at right. least based on the first couple of years, our first couple of months of 43. January, February, and so far March, leasing is down year over year. I think mm-hmm. this is because there's a lot of cash in the market. Yeah, yeah. Lots of cash. Crops overall, we've had good prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of farmers have cash. It, you know, kind of from my my view, my lens, most customers, if it's 150000 or less, they're writing checks. Yeah. And there's cash in the bank to cover those checks. They're not borrowing the money. Mm-hmm. Um, 150, 200,000. They're starting to look at financing or leasing options, especially anything over 200,000. So, still seeing mostly purchases. 
But I think as the year plays out, and certainly as we head into 24, um, heard from some economists already what their predictions are on crop prices. They're, they're not predicting anything significantly down, but they think maybe we've reached the peak. So I guess we'll see how that plays out. But generally, when price of corn comes down a little bit, um, we see leasing activity pick. Yeah, right on. Well, Greg, I, I I love doing this with you because we get a good a good glimpse as to what you see happening out in the in the uh, uh, the lending world out there. Um, if folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what what you're doing over at AgDirect, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you can find us on our website agdirect.com. We love to hear from you. Call us at 888-525-9805. Um, and just you know, give us a shout. You can also find us on our AgDirect mobile. And we've got a really good quoting tool there. If you're just looking at buying or leasing a piece of equipment, you want to get an idea of what your payments are. It's free to use. Just download on your app. And uh, we also have all of our current links there. So if you want to kind of start the ball rolling, do a little prep work, AgDirect mobile is a good, great place to start. But we always love hearing from dealers and customers. Again, 888-525-9805. Right on. Well, Greg, I appreciate you being on, man. All right. Good to see you, Casey. You behave on St. Patrick's night. That's all I know how to do. So <laughs> Take right. care. Take care of yourself. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 341. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by AgDirect. Powered by Farm Credit, AgDirect is built for today's agriculture with simple applications, quick responses, competitive rates, and generous flexible terms. AgDirect offers buy, lease, and refinance options for almost all types of new and used equipment, non-recourse, and timely funding back to your dealership plus sales incentives. No other ag equipment lender works like AgDirect. Learn more by calling your AgDirect territory manager at 888-525-9805 or visit us at agdirect.com. I have got Tanner Emke back on here from CoBank to talk about the world of ag economics. So how you doing, man? Doing great. Great to be back again, Casey. Yeah. And and the good thing about this, Tanner, is that we actually have plenty of stuff to talk about here in the world of ag economics. So it's, you and I never have a, a shortage of things to talk about. We, now, we never do. We man. really don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're exactly right. So uh, let's set the table here a little bit for kind of what we're going to talk about today. So one, obviously, we're going to talk about um, what's happened with the bank um, out in Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley Bank, and then the, the bank in New York. I can't remember what it was called, but both of those. Um, collapse you know and what what how that whole thing happened talking about uh usda's outlook for 23 we're going to talk about um the grain corridor and in the black sea and what we see happening there with russia and ukraine and uh you know a few other things will pop up here along the way too so um let's start with this first so because i think these two kind of correlate together the cpi report came out uh this week um it was they were hoping for 6.7 and they got to 6.0, so we had a pretty dramatic um, downturn there in overall um, consumer product index uh, inflation and what they saw happening there. Um, Chairman Powell had already talked about raising somewhere between a quarter and a half percent. They kind of hinted more towards the half a percent more than anything else. But um, with this news coming up, uh, there was some thought that, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to hunt up. We're going to do this and then kind of wait and see what happens. But with interest rates the way they were, that's what kind of affected this uh, collapse in uh, in the uh, interest or in the uh, the banks that we saw. So I guess Tanner, looking at that, what's your thoughts on that, and 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 what's your I guess what's your best guess moving forward now? What the Fed might do? Well, I think those two things that you just talked about there with uh, CPI coming in at six 
and then the the banking uh, situation uh, that we're experiencing right now uh, takes the th- those two factors combined really takes the wind out of the sails of a fifty point increase uh, in their right. meeting next week. And so I think uh, that talk is probably going to be softened quite a bit now uh, with the Fed. Um, now, you, inflation is still high. Uh, it's just that the, the pace of uh, inflation is uh, slowing down. Uh, what really got the Fed concerned was back in January when we had uh, inflation at 6.3. It was, it was still fairly high. And uh, and it was, wasn't really – from. De- from December to January didn't uh, move uh, the, the degree that people had hoped or that had thought. And so that was what really got the Fed and others uh, fired up about, hey, we got to get back to a 50 point basis increase, 50, uh, 50 basis point increases. But now you add in the, the slower uh, CPI. Now you add in uh, the banking situation. You had the two big... <laughs> Uh, the second and third biggest bank failures in U.S. history happened in the span of a couple of days. Yeah, uh, and then you add in another bank failure, and then you add in uh, Credit Suisse and some of the situations that they're dealing with right now. And the Swiss government looks like they're stepping in uh, to support them. Um, it, it appears as though, uh, from the outset, I mean, these four I- events happening in short or in the span of less than a week, that one would think that we're in the midst of a crisis. And now we're going to relive 2008 all over again. Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, there's always that uh, market dynamic where um, money is going to get pulled out of the marketplace because of those fears. And that's kind of what we're seeing in things like the stock market. Uh, but I would, I'd say, though, that a lot of this was uh, really focused on some banks that were badly managed. It's not, it's not a contagion. And so I think that's in the Fed's mind, because go back into 2008, that was a contagion. Yeah. You had all of those that, houses that, was yeah. uh, that were uh, underwater. I mean, that was systemic. I mean, that was an absolute collapse in the market. Fast forward to today, and what do you have? Well, you've got some badly managed banks dealing with a, uh, a rising interest rate vi- environment. And so in my mind, and from what I'm reading with other economists and other people in the marketplace out there, this is not a contagion. Uh, It is going to be contained. uh, And this is what you would expect after so many years of uh, near zero interest rates. Uh, There was going to be some reckless banks out there, banks that uh, were not uh, doing smart uh, or were not being smart with their money. And so now we're seeing the effects of it now when the Fed starts pulling back again, bringing rates back in line to where they should be. Uh, you're going to see those those banks that were reckless kind of shake out of the marketplace. They're going to get sh- they're going to they're going to be falling out of the competition, if you will, uh, because they just out of incompetence of leadership and management is what this comes down to. It's, it's, so it's not a con- it's not a contagion. And so I think uh, the Fed probably sees it that way. Uh, all of those folks lived through 2008. Uh, they were around. They know yeah. what a cont- true contagion really looks like, and that's not what this is. They're they're entirely different. So I think the Fed's going to move ahead with a, a rate increase next week. Uh, but I think right now, with uh, you've, the banking situation, 
uh, as we'll call it. And then also uh, inflation coming in at six on the CPI, 6.0. I think that really gives, that that takes the wind out of the sails, if you will, of doing a 50-point increase. I think they're going to say, okay, let's just stair-step it up to 25, a little bit more cautious, and then we'll see where we go from here. I think that's, I think, that seems like a reasonable expectation for the Fed next week, in my mind. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, the things that were going on in 2008 were woefully under. Uh, oh, was I mean, just people were people were getting loans for houses that they no one. There's no piece of paper anywhere that should they could actually pay for it, and and their yeah. credit risks and everything else that came. I mean, it was just a it was a disaster waiting to happen, and it, and it happened. And I think you're right here. I mean. They've got a lot of regulations, a lot of bank examiners yes. and those kind of things that are really watchful eye of what's going on. And I think the one thing about banks like Silicon Valley Bank is that they're they're not your traditional bank. Their their whole business model was based around the venture capital startup thing where you had the assets but not necessarily the cash and and uh your profits may or may or may or not have been as high as they wanted, but they're they're willing to to step in and 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 help some of these people out and with this stuff happening, there were plenty of folks that were signing up, that were standing up saying, hey, if, if Silicon Valley Bank would not have given me um, this loan, there's no way that I would be what we are now, you know, a, a Chewy or somebody like that. You know, these bigger, you know, startups that you've seen that have become very successful. So it's a niche market for sure, but it was very risky what they were doing for sure. And the way they were managing their funds, they were so <laughs> exposed sure. to the $90 billion yeah. in long-dated bonds that were falling in value. Yeah, I mean, don't tell me they didn't see this coming in a rising interest rate environment. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this one, uh, this one economist I was reading was saying that it wasn't bad management; uh, it was horrendous management, yeah. and that's that's not normal. Uh, right. Most, uh, unfortunately, the cost is going to be borne by well-managed banks. Uh, their uh, cost of insurance is going to go up, uh, but. Uh, that sounds like uh, you know a, a, a headache to be borne by uh, healthy banks, but it's not a contagion, uh, okay. and I think that's what has to be stressed here. It's we're not in we're not in two thousand and uh, two thousand eight. It's an entirely different environment, right? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing too was that I think the big takeaway from all this too is one tweet brought that place down. I mean, and then and then obviously the other guys piled onto it, but I mean it was just one. <laughs> One tweet really kind of started that fire, and then a lot of people yeah. threw gasoline on it after that. But it was, I think Moody's had also downgraded them. Yeah, yeah. Moody's downgraded them, then added it. Uh, that was that added uh, to the fire, I guess. But no, the tweet, and then everyone piling on in the social media environment. Mm-hmm. Oh my, let's <laughs> it just kind of uh, fire or snowballs from there. Yeah, somebody made somebody mad. That's for sure. So anyway, all right. So let's jump over and talk about what we see happen with USDA moving into 23 and what their outlooks are there. Um, still a lot of positivity out there, what we're seeing. Um, they've talked a lot about, you know, crop prices and what they might look like there being significant, not a significant, it's not the right word, but lower than what we see them now moving into that. Um, but we are seeing a lot of pr- uh, pressure taken away on the input side compared to what we saw last year. So I guess what are your thoughts there, Tanner? Well, when you look at USDA's latest forecast from the Ag Outlook, uh, that's kind of my go-to for the next year ahead. Uh, I look at the global stocks use 
and uh, they're expecting uh, corn and uh, wheat, you know, the grains at large, to be tightened. Uh, whereas soybeans, uh, not so much, and that's because of the record crop down uh, in Brazil. Now, that being said, there's still a lot of things we're dealing with. There's drought in Argentina. There's drought on the plains here in the U.S. Uh, you still have the, the Black Sea Corridor issue, a lot, a lot of uh, production lost uh, in Ukraine. And so those factors are going to be uh, hanging on in the grain markets for quite some time. I mean, those are not things that get reversed easily. Uh, and so I think uh, we're going to be in this situation uh, and USDA uh, agrees where we're going to be a little tight on uh, grains globally uh, for the year ahead. And not nearly as much for soybeans, uh, but it's actually it's it's you know those headaches are going to be there, especially for the end users. And uh, although grain prices, grain and soybean prices have come down uh, from their highs, we're still high historically speaking, and so that's going to be impacting your user end users. Now for the for the crop farmers out there, this is great news. Uh, especially, um, you, know, you know, as we start to see input prices come down, there's been some concern that with uh, commodity prices coming down that we're going to start to see a squeeze on net farm income, and that's to be expected. Uh, but, uh, you know, the world is still tight, so I wouldn't really say that we're going to be uh, in, a, uh, in a terrible financial situation in agriculture uh, in the year ahead. Uh, it's just going to be a tighter uh, cash flow for a lot of farmers with uh, yep. uh, inputs still fairly high historically. And, you know, commodity prices have come off the peak. So uh, that's going to stretch the margins a little bit. Yep. All right. So let's talk about what we see. So the, the Ukrainian uh, Russian Black Sea grain corridor, right? Yeah. Um, that That's a, a tricky situation, more so than I think we've seen in the past is, Two things I think that are really going to make it kind of back to what you said about tight stocks, especially in wheat. Um, Russian wheat crop so far is, is predicting to be somewhere between 15 and 20 percent down, depending on where you look at. Um, and Ukraine is just no matter if they if they had the best crop on the planet ever for the next 10 years, they're still going to struggle to get things out of Ukraine. So I guess as you're looking at at that situation there, which at any time that whole grain corridor thing could just be shut off totally and right. um you know what that looks like but i guess as you're looking at that and you start looking at the Af northern african countries asian countries that are relying upon the, the wheat that comes out of that area i, I guess what are your thoughts there and, and how do you think that affects the long-term uh, effects of what we see happen in the u.s and in south america as well well there's one thing i want to point out here uh back Back on the the uh, the corridor, uh, the grain corridor out of the Black Sea, uh, that Russia has allowed uh, shipments of uh, grains and oil seeds out of Ukraine to move out of the Black Sea. That is contingent on the agreement here for the next ninety days uh, on uh, that remaining open. And what's what's important here about ninety days? Why ninety days? Why don't they just say oh, let's just keep it open and so so people can. Uh, be fed, we can avert a crisis globally. Why don't we just keep it open the whole time? Why are they agreeing to 90 days only? There's something else we got to watch, and that is the election in Turkey. Why does that oh. matter? It, it was President Erdogan who put that deal together, remember? Right. 
Yep. Uh, it was Tur- uh, Turkey and uh, Russia are still buds, uh, even though Turkey is NATO. Uh, Erdogan and uh, Putin are allies-ish, kind of. And so uh, Erdogan, unfortunately, or fortunately, how whoever's uh, from whatever, depending upon your political stance, uh, looks to be politically in trouble. Uh, he looks to be behind in the polls and they have an election coming up. And so Russia uh, would be worried about that, that they might potentially lose their ally that they have in uh, uh, President Erdogan. And so that's why they're not wanting to extend it beyond that. They're only extending it 90 days. And then the Russians are going to take a look and to see what happens uh, with the uh, Turkish election. And if their friend Erdogan uh, is removed from office, then we have reason to believe that perhaps the political support there for that uh, Green Sea Corridor goes away, or the, excuse me, the, the Black Sea Corridor goes away. And that would really shake the markets. So there's a lot that here to watch, uh, all these moving parts uh, politically uh, and, uh, that are going to be affecting the grain markets. So over the next 90 days, uh, we need to keep, keep an eye on what happens uh, over in Turkey. Uh, and if Erdogan loses, how are the Russians going to respond? Are they going to pull the plug uh, on the, uh, the the Black Sea Grain Corridor? Um, given that they've decided that they were insisting on 90 days and not any further than that, would le- would lend the idea here that that uh, corridor perhaps could be in trouble uh, if they're not willing to commit to it. So that's something we're going to need to watch. This is in addition to the drought that we have on the plains here in the U.S. It's in addition to the drought in Argentina, okay? And now you start to see a situation here where we could get really, really tight on grain really, really quick. Uh, Oil seeds, not as big as a deal because of the record crop coming out of Brazil. But definitely when it comes to corn and wheat, uh, we could be in a situation where all of these things align on supply and then politically that would uh, out of the Black Sea that would quickly tighten supply instantly where we could have um, a dramatically different market environment, we'll say, uh, unfold for grains. So there's something to watch. I think there's a lot of points yeah. that align. It all, it's all going to be impacting really on the grains, uh, corn wheat. Yep. That is a... Uh... I didn't really put those two things together, but uh, the Erdogan's uh, election and and what that looks like that is a, that would be a big deal. And if they shut that down, I mean, like you said, there's it's already hard enough to make it work the way it is. Much less completely yeah. turning it off, that would be that'd be a big deal. And big plus deal the fact that acreage is down in Ukraine, it's we we know that that's yeah. and yeah. so we're already going to be in a uh, tighter environment. Now you add in the political. Uh, situation and uh, wheat and grain stocks uh, globally, tradable wheat and grain stocks globally could tighten pretty quickly. Yep. All right. Let's jump over and, and I'd like, because this is your area especially here. So let's talk about the dairy market for a little bit. They are still, it's, I don't know if it's gotten any better since the last time we talked. It's still a struggle to make that dairy market work. And I guess as you're looking out through 23, what are some of your expectations for that? And with China coming back on board, uh, hopefully kind of getting this stuff ground and there's such a huge buyer of milk powder i guess looking at that 
you know, in our relationship with China at this point? I mean, I guess what's your outlook for 23 in the dairy market? Well, I think the the consensus is that we're going to be seeing, seeing a tightening of the herd um, later this year. Uh, you know, I don't know how how fast we're going to tighten, but uh, because margins have been, have been eroded, uh, we're definitely going to see some pressure there. And we've seen slaughter rates uh, among dairy cows up uh, near near record highs. And so that would indicate that we're, we're heading into this transition here where we're going to see tighter milk supply in the U.S., which would uh, coincide uh, with a recovery in the Chinese economy. Now, I think the, WT, no, the, the World Bank was uh, forecasting a, recover, a faster recovery in the Chinese uh, economy. Uh, now, that, now that they're kind of coming out of this uh, COVID lockdown period, and uh, their their economy is uh, showing fat is expected to show faster growth. China, which is the largest uh, dairy importer uh, in the world, would be seeing stronger economic recovery later on at a time where we would see tightening supply. So uh, right now, yes, uh, milk prices have been under pressure. A lot of that is due uh, to the fact that not only here in recent months, we've exp- expanded production and productivity at the same time, but over in Europe, they've had phenomenal weather. Uh, and we've had very mild weather here too, uh, historically speaking. And so that's been a positive on production. Uh, but um, those fa- those fundamental factors are going to go away if we start to see uh, uh persistent erosion of margins for producers and then what you're going to see is a shrinkage in the herd as you see slaughter rates increase uh at the same time uh heifer prices are still extremely high and so the cost of replacing that milk cow is going up and so it's going to be harder and harder to rebuild a herd uh with these elevated costs so i think further out um given these supply demand fundamentals it looks like you know, although uh, we're in a period of uh, depressed uh, prices right now, uh, that may change in short order uh, later on this year. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts out there right now. <laughs> a lot of stuff going on. Um, They're all connected. So, uh, aren't there? This is amazing how, how interconnected all this stuff is. I guess so one last topic here, let's talk about this a little bit. You brought it up. I was going to talk a little bit about China, what we see there. With the reopening and what we see happening there, that reopening is not happening as fast as they make it out to be. We're still seeing a lot of a lot of delay, a lot of drag. Um, they're buying a lot of stuff out of South America, which you'd expect, but they're buying a lot of beef, a lot of pork, and a lot of soybeans out of the U.S. too. So I guess as you're looking at that, um, Tanner, do you feel like this is a ramp up for what they're expecting, or do you really feel like that demand's actually there for what we see happening with Chinese imports? A lot of those uh, purchases uh, tend to be strategic uh, uh, from the uh, from China's strategic reserve, uh, and so uh, when they see uh, commodity prices down, uh, then they would be motivated to take Jump advantage in, yeah. of that, uh, put it into their cold storage for later use, uh, or replenish their stockpiles. Um, yeah, so it's hard to uh, it's hard to bet what the Chinese government's going to do. Uh, so uh, that being said, uh, we are in a position here where you brought up livestock. Uh, our economist uh, who covers animal protein, uh, Brian Ernest, he covers that uh, uh, very well, and he you know, he's pointed out uh, the tightness in supplies and uh, how we're going to be in this uh, this situation uh, going forward, where 
uh, it's more of a supply situation more than it is anything else because of the drought here in the U.S. And then when you talk about the grains, which we discussed a little bit ago, a lot of that is drought uh, related. So uh, on the supply side, uh, it is just tight uh, because of those fundamentals. Uh, that being said, the demand side uh, looks to be improving longer term, especially for China. Uh, we'll see what happens with uh, this rising interest rate environment. It's going to slow down uh, growth uh, globally for a lot of other countries, including China. They're going to be impacted by this. And so I think uh, that's one thing you got to watch. So they're recovering uh, from uh, their COVID lockdowns, and that is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it's going to be, there's a lot of stumbling blocks along the way. But you can't grow an economy when everyone's locked down at home. Uh, and so exactly, the upside yeah. here has now been opened up now with uh, uh, those policies going away. So that's been a positive, but we got to keep an eye on what's going on uh, with interest rates. And uh, Perhaps uh, there may be more uh, bank issues uh, globally uh, or economic issues like over in China that we got to watch with their real estate market. Yeah. Is that going to be the next thing to go uh, that could mm -hmm. be impacting their economy? Uh, there's a lot of moving parts here that we just got to keep our eyes on. Uh, and, and until we see it, we have to assume that them that China's reopening of their economy is going to be positive for their growth. Uh, we'll just have to watch some of these uh, black swans like they're uh, – that they're a real estate market that could be in trouble in a rising yeah. interest rate environment. Very much so. Tanner, a lot of moving parts there, a lot of good stuff going on. You guys have tons of information over at CoBank. What's the best way for folks to go find that information? And they can find our research at CoBank.com and our research is under the knowledge exchange tab. Right on. Tanner, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Just, read, just find us on the website and you can find our contact information there. Right on, man. Well, Tanner, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks, Casey. Thanks for having me back. Right on, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Check out the video version of this over on YouTube at Moving Iron Podcast on the YouTube channel there. Check that out. Go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related and go to Moving Iron um, LLC as well to get all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th, Check, click on the upper right-hand corner on the Moving Iron Summit tab. That'll give you all the information as well as how to sign up. Also, if you would like to uh, get more information about that, you send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with the man, the myth, the legend, Tanner Emke. It's going to be smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you 
work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hard work.